Well, I want to welcome all of you today who are joining us through our online campus. Uh, as always, it's just such a great joy to be able to share with you in this format. I'm so thankful for the technology that makes this available during, during this uh, difficult time. So welcome all of you. I especially want to welcome those of you who are joining us from Impact Fairfax and Impact Bethany today. Um, this weekend, we conclude our November stewardship series called Foolproof, and the tagline is how to handle money in uncertain times. Uh, and as we do, I want to just really begin by being completely honest with you and tell you that I, uh, I, I had very little time to prepare this message this week because we continue to record the online campus and because most people are choosing to worship with us that way during this uncertain time. Because this week is a holiday week, I needed to record this message on Tuesday morning, and so uh, my preparation time was cut a little bit short. I know some preachers like to work ahead, but that's never really worked for me when it comes to writing a message. And so, because of that, I want to finish up this stewardship series by talking about one really simple thing. But before we do that, uh, I want to make sure we begin with the reading of the Scripture. And so, uh, I'm going to uh, read a passage, a couple of verses that I have referred to every week so far in this foolproof stewardship series. It's Proverbs chapter 11, verses 24 and 25. Uh, you'll see those verses on the screen. The proverb writer says, one man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. I just want to let those verses be the foundation for what we talk about over the next several minutes. My favorite all-time television show is the medical drama ER. Maybe some of you would say the same. It aired on NBC from 1994 to 2009. A few years ago, my kids bought me the complete uh, series in DVD, and I was able to go back and watch all of those episodes again. My family gives me a hard time because I like television shows and movies that uh, deal with real-life dramatic themes. It's just kind of the way I am. It's not that I don't like lighthearted shows. I do. I just prefer, for some reason, I just prefer shows that deal with real life. And that's one of the reasons why I liked ER. One of my favorite characters was Dr. Mark Green, who was played by Anthony Edwards, who spent, uh, who, or rather, who was part of the very first season and spent the next several years uh, on the show. In fact, he was a part of the cast from season one all the way through season eight. And in season eight, his character died as the result of a brain tumor. Uh, I went back and I looked at that episode uh, recently. When Dr. Green, the character Dr. Green, was no, able, no, no longer able to work, uh, he traveled to Hawaii, where he grew up as the child of a Navy officer. And he's there initially just with his oldest daughter, Rachel, who he's had a fractured relationship with for many years as a result of uh, the divorce between he and his uh, first wife, uh, Rachel's mother. And he takes her with him to Hawaii in hopes that they will have uh, the opportunity to kind of reconnect and heal the, their relationship, heal the old wounds there in their relationship before it's too late. Uh, the very end of the episode, there's a night when he's resting in a hammock on the beach. His daughter Rachel approaches and he, he opens his eyes to see her, and they have one final conversations with 
They have one final conversation, rather, that begins with him saying to her, I was just dreaming about you. And then he recounts a story about when she was a little girl and how much she loved balloons. And then he goes on to say these words. I was trying to figure out what I should have already told you, but never have. Something important. Something every father should impart to his daughter. I finally got it. Generosity. Be generous with your time, with your love, with your life. A little later he goes on to say, I'm sorry, Rachel, I'm so tired. Don't cry for me. Be generous always. He closes his eyes and begins to drift off to sleep and Rachel finally says, I will. Be generous. That's really what I want to talk to you about today. <clears throat> we, all, <clears throat> we all need to live generous lives. We need to be generous in every part of life. We need to be generous with our time. We need to be generous with our attention. We need to be generous with our gifts and our talents. We need to be generous with our stuff. Whatever it might be, we need to be generous with our influence. We need to be generous with our thoughts. We need to be generous with our words, our prayers. I could go on and on and on. Being generous should be something that's so much a part of who we are that it becomes involuntary in that it's something we do without even consciously thinking about it. It's just who we are. And it needs to be who we are because we recognize how greatly we have been blessed by God and we want to, in some way, return that blessing. I honestly don't know where my life would be today apart from the generosity of so many people who have been a part of my life. I came here at church to the office a couple of weeks ago and my assistant Marquetta gave me a message to call a man who was a part of my very first church in Texas. I've been gone from that church almost 30 years ago. She gave me a message to return a call to him. That particular man was a part of a large family that not only went to the little church I planted, but is a family that I have known ever since my family moved to Texas all the way back in 1976. I was just a teenager when we moved there. I think I was just... Um, almost 17 years old. Along with mom and dad, there were five brothers and one sister. And so I, I returned the call. I called this man. His name is Tom. And uh, in the course of the conversation, he wanted to let me know that his sister Becky had died the day before. She'd been battling a couple of different kinds of cancer for several years. I hadn't seen Becky and her husband, Ken, for some time. I had traveled back to Texas several years ago when her father died and I preached the funeral service for her father. I had traveled back to Texas a few years after that when her mother died and I preached her mother's funeral. Uh, her family always liked to say that I was their pastor no matter where I was. And so on my 
phone conversation with Tom that day, he asked me if I might be able to come to Houston to preach Becky's funeral service. And I tried every way I could think of to make that happen. But my schedule, the church schedule that we're following right now, uh, with our online campus and our weekend in-person services, is just so busy that it wouldn't allow the opportunity for me to go. And one of the most painful things I've ever done is I called her husband, Ken, and told him that I wasn't going to be able to be there. A few years ago, Ken and Becky were in Indianapolis because they have some family here, and they were here over a weekend. They came to Mount Pleasant on a Sunday morning, but the problem was, and I knew they were coming, but the problem was Sandy and I had already scheduled to be gone. We were in Florida, and so we missed them. The good news was uh, that Andrew was preaching that weekend, and I really believe based on the letter that they sent me after they returned home to Houston, that they probably enjoyed listening to him more than they would have enjoyed listening to me. It was a real blessing to them to hear my son stand in the pulpit and preach. When my family moved to Texas in 1976, Ken and Becky were high school youth coaches at the little church that we attended, and they took an interest in me right from the beginning, almost as if God had specifically instructed them to take an interest in me. And as a result, they had a huge impact on my life. As I mentioned, I was not quite 17 years old. I was very unhappy about moving. I didn't know a single person in that place beyond my immediate family. Uh, there were more kids in my, my single class at my new high school than there were in the entire high school that I had gone to in Oklahoma, and I could go on and on and on. It was a difficult time for me, and I could have, I guess I could have gone a lot of different directions in my life because of my unhappiness, but they were just so generous with me. They were generous with their time. They were generous with their attention. They were generous with their encouragement. They were generous with their prayers and on and on and on. And they continued to be that way when I went away to Bible college. They continued to be that way when I returned to Houston to begin full-time ministry. They were members of that little church that I planted back in 1982 that started with 30 people. In fact, their entire family, mom and dad, five brothers, well, four brothers. One brother lived in another part of Texas. Four brothers and sister, Becky, and her family, they made up more than half of that little church that I planted back in 1982. They always saw and believed the best in me. Have you ever had someone share that kind of generosity with you? What they gave me was more valuable than anything money could buy. And I've thought a lot about that since I had that phone conversation, that initial phone conversation with her brother Tom and then that subsequent conversation with her husband, Ken. Generous people make a difference. Generous people affect the lives of others. Sometimes generous people protect the lives of others. Generous people change the world. When I was around Becky later in my life, uh, when I would be in Houston, for example, for her father's funeral service or for her mother's funeral service or if I was there visiting uh, friends and we were able to get together, she would always look at me and talk to me like I was Billy Graham. 
Generous people make a difference. And generous people change the world, even if it's just one life, one family, one opportunity at a time. And that's just one of the reasons why every time we have the opportunity, we need to be a generous church. Every time we have the opportunity, we need to be generous, both individually and collectively as the church. And there have been several times over the last eight or nine months when we've been going through this pandemic, when I have opened up my computer and I have watched a service that was recorded <clears throat> before the pandemic because I can't tell you how much I miss having everyone here. I can't tell you how much I miss having this worship center filled with people like it was before. Not long ago, I watched the service from the weekend of February 29th and March 1st of this year. I don't know if you'll remember that weekend or not, but it was a special weekend because we celebrated the passing of the $1 million mark in monies given away through change for a dollar. Really was an incredible weekend, incredible time of worship. Uh, we had a, a great testimony from a change for a dollar family here in our own church, uh, the Anderson family. Uh, we had a, a video that had been created where we got to hear from several different um, change for a dollar recipients, and I, I preached a message from John 13, verses 34 and 35, where Jesus talked about a new command, I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And then he said, by this will all men know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. And I talked about how we love others in tangible ways. It was just an incredible weekend. I don't know if you'll remember or not, I hope that you will, but at the end of that service, as we were celebrating, I told you that from the time we began Change for a Dollar, which at that point had been uh, not quite five years ago, uh, we had not spent all of the Change for a Dollar money. And, and the reason why is because sometimes the recipients uh, end up not needing all the money that's given or, or because uh, we don't get all the receipts. We don't just turn the money over to someone. We pay bills, we pay receipts, and sometimes we don't get all receipts. And so we, uh, we always had some money left over. When we got to that weekend, the amount of money we had left over was about $70,000. And at the end of the service, I told you that because the overwhelming most common need with Change for a Dollar families is to pay medical bills, that we partnered with a company called um, RIP, I believe was the name of it, RIP Medical Debt, uh, a company that would buy unpaid medical debt for pennies on the dollar and then try to eliminate it. And we sent that $70,000 to that company uh, and specifically eliminated $7 million of unpaid medical debt here in Greenwood and in every one of our impact neighborhoods. Those are the areas we focused on. And we were able to eliminate $7 million of unpaid medical debt. And that turned into a great celebration at the end of the service. Uh, we had lots of change for a dollar recipients with us and, and I invited them all down front at the end. We had a great big prayer circle down front where everybody was arm in arm praying for those people and praying for the ongoing blessing of God. Such a powerful, powerful thing. And so I'll say it again. When we have the opportunity to be generous, every time we have the opportunity to be generous, we need to be a generous church. We need to be generous with every part of our lives. That's what I mentioned in the beginning of this message. But we also need to be generous with whatever 
amount of money God has entrusted to us. And we have that opportunity here every single week as we receive an offering that goes to, to maintain and advance the ministry of this church, not just in this community, but around the world through our global partners. I'm challenging you this weekend to continue that generosity. And I'm not going to go into a long and detailed teaching time about why we need to give and why we need to be generous, but I do want to share with you three very simple things that I hope will encourage your heart today. Three very encouraging things just about being generous, just about giving. The first one is this. Giving allows us to imitate God which is something that the Scriptures instructs us to do. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1, Paul literally writes and says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. We are to imitate God in the way we live. And being generous, giving, allows us to do that. Because the Bible teaches us that God is generous, that He is a giver. And it's not just something it, that God does, it's something literally that God is. It's who He is. And that should be significant for each of us. All the way back in the, our, me, all the way back in the book of Genesis in chapter 1, in the very first part of verse 27, we read these words. This is a part of the creation story. So God created man in his own image. The word image there in the Hebrew language of the Old Testament is the word selim. And the simple meaning is his drawing or his representation. Let me share it with you in a very simple way that is easy to understand. Have you ever taken your hand and placed it on a piece of paper, or maybe you've done this with one of your children, and then you traced your hand on the piece of paper? When you were done, the tracing is the exact shape of your hand. That's really what this verse is teaching us when it talks about being created in the image of God. We are the tracing of God. We are made to imitate God, to look like God and to imitate God in so many different ways, in particular the character of God. And because He is a generous God, then when we are generous, it enables us to be like Him, to look like Him. The second thing, the second simple thing that I would share with you is that giving is an act of worship. It's important because it's an act of worship. Our generosity when we give is an act of worship. You know, when we think of worship, we typically think of singing. And that's okay because that's a part of worship. It's not all there is to worship, but it's a part of it. And so we typically think of singing, especially probably when we sing slower songs and maybe you're someone who likes to raise your hands or close your eyes or do something like that when you sing. And, and it's easy to think of worship in that kind of a setting. But worship is so much more than that. To worship means that we put the object of our worship first, that we put the object of our worship before us, above us. It's an act of obedience to God that says, you're way above me. I recognize that I'm the creation. You are the creator. You are the one 
you are above me. And so I'm going to live my life in a way that recognizes that truth and not just recognizes that truth, but I'm going to live my life in a way that honors that truth, that you are the God who is high above, lifted up, the creator, the sustainer of all things. When we understand worship like that, we understand that worship happens in all kinds of settings. Worship happens when we choose to forgive rather than stay angry. Worship happens when we choose to love rather than, than hate or, or push someone away or separate ourselves from someone. And worship happens when we choose to give and be generous rather than keep. Because every time we make those kinds of decisions, we're letting God know that we recognize who He is and that He has first place in our lives, that He is over us and above us, and we're subject to Him. That's why Jesus said in John 14, verse 15, If you love me, show it by doing what I've told you to do. That's the way it reads in the message. If you love me, show it by doing what I've told you to do. And friends, the Bible instructs us to give and to be generous. The Bible instructs us to give and to be generous literally from cover to cover. It's written about in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And when we obey those instructions and we give, when we obey those instructions and we are generous, we practice generosity in our lives, then that giving, that generosity becomes an act of worship. And see, here's the thing, we can't, it becomes an act of worship because we're obeying God. And we can't just pick and choose which instructions from the Bible we'll obey. We have to be open to all of them. We have to be obedient to all of them. If I think about that in terms of marriage, I, I can tell you that I love my wife dearly. And in just a few months in February, we'll celebrate our 39th anniversary together we wouldn't have made it together this long if my attitude or my approach to our, our marriage was not a 100 percent complete commitment we wouldn't have made it if I had an attitude toward mar our marriage where I would say well honey I'm going to love you but I'm not going to honor you or I'm going to honor you but I'm not going to be faithful to you and I would just pick and choose the part of the commitment that I would obey or the part of the commitment that I would be committed to you can't do that in marriage. You can't do that in your relationship with God either. We have to be committed to obedience in all the instructions of the Scripture. We have to be committed to obey Him in everything that He asks us to do. And clearly in the Scriptures, again, literally from cover to cover, God instructs us to be generous. We can't just pick and choose which parts of our relationship with God will honor. Again, Jesus said in John 14 and verse 15, if you love me, show it by doing what I've told you. And then the third thing I've got written down here about giving and generosity is that when you give, when you're generous, you're going to be blessed. We talked about this at the end of last week's message. I told you I'm not a prosperity gospel. I hate the prosperity gospel message. I would never ever tell you or make a promise to you that God will give back to you a certain amount or a certain thing if you give something to Him. But at the same time, the Bible does teach us that God 
not only honors our obedience, and that includes our giving and our generosity, but He blesses it. I can't tell you how the blessing might come in your life. I could give you testimony about how the blessing of God has come into my life, but I can't tell you how it will come into your life. It, it may come into your life in ways that you don't even notice. That's kind of sad, but honestly true. I think about times uh, in my life where I don't, I don't even probably notice the blessing of God or the way God has honored my faith or my obedience. But God, He'll bring the honor and He'll bring the blessing Luke chapter 6 and verse 38, Jesus said, Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Well, I'm, I'm just going to stop right there. There's three really simple truths about giving. And I'm just going to close like this. I'm going to close by telling you, uh, every year... During this stewardship series, we give you the opportunity to make a generosity commitment for the coming year. Since you are joining us through our online campus, uh, you're not going to be here to actually physically receive one of these, uh, these foolproof commitment cards for the coming year. But uh, they are available to you in the same way that I mentioned last week when I first introduced them. Uh, you can, you can uh, get them uh, through the chat. They can be provided by your online host, the online campus pastor. You can get them in the MPCC Greenwood app. Uh, you can go to our website, mpcc.info, and you can get them by clicking on the giving page of the website. Several different options available to you. Um, I told you last week that I, I believe in the giving of a tithe, that in my own personal life, that I view the tithe as the starting point for my generosity. Uh, but I'll also tell you really clearly today, friends, and listen to me close. It wasn't always that way. It took me some time to grow into that in my life, in my spiritual life. And so recognizing that, that we all come at this at different places in our, our spiritual lives, there are three different options available to you on this card. The first one is you can just uh, check a box that says that you will begin to faithfully and consistently, uh, or excuse me, you'll be able to, you'll begin to give faithfully and consistently with the tithe as your generosity goal. And maybe that's what you need to check. Uh, maybe you're somebody who doesn't give anything at all. Maybe you're somebody who just gives sporadically from time to time. The idea of giving a tithe is overwhelming to you. Uh, maybe you just need to start somewhere and you just need to check that box and say, I'll begin to give faithfully and consistently, ultimately with the tithe, the giving of the 10% as my generosity goal. That's okay, we'd love to see you check that box this weekend. The next one is, I will begin or continue to tithe as my measurement of generosity. That doesn't really require any explanation. I appreciate so much the many, many faithful people in this church who give uh, a tithe every single week or every single month, however it is that you end up giving. And the third box is uh, that you would, begin, you would begin to, excuse me, you would begin or continue to give over and above the tithe as your measurement of generosity. And that's the box that I will check. That's the box that many people check in our church. Uh, I don't know who you are. I just know uh, when it's all said and done, the numbers, uh, how the commitment cards break down. Uh, but again, that's, that's some, I appreciate you so much and your sacrificial giving in this church. Um, we wouldn't be able to accomplish all the things that we accomplish through the ministry of this church apart from that kind of 
uh, commitment to generosity. Uh, this past weekend on Saturday in my office, just by myself, I led a, a digital workshop for the uh, International Conference on Missions that was held here in Indianapolis this weekend. And sadly, like so many other things because of the pandemic, it had to be dramatically changed and so much of it was done virtually. But I had many, many people join me on that, uh, for that workshop uh, as I talked about our impact ministries. I talked about the Impact Center here on our campus. I talked about uh, Impact Old Southside, Impact Fairfax, and Impact Bethany, and just those great, great ministries. I talked about where, uh, the, how they started, where they came from, what God has done, and, and how we've been able to reach people and, and revitalize churches and, and, and minister to underserved and under-resourced neighborhoods through those ministries. And uh, there was a time for question and answers and one of the questions uh, came was, was how have you been able to afford that? How much does it cost uh, to uh, start a ministry like that? And I was able to have a really honest uh, response to, those, to that question and tell them that I gave them some specific dollar amounts and tell them that the reason why our church has been able to do that is because our people are so faithful and so generous in their stewardship that our church is completely debt free. We don't owe any money to anybody for anything. And because of that, the monies that are given go directly to ministry, to sustaining ministry and starting ministry. And I, I can't tell you how thankful I am to those of you who have been such faithful and sacrificial givers over the years. I appreciate you so much. And so that's the commitment that's before you. Uh, some people uh, don't believe in the giving of a tithe uh, because uh, the tithe is something that's taught in the Old Testament, and I understand that. Let me tell you that I don't believe in the giving of a tithe because I somehow feel like I'm obligated to follow the instruction of the Old Testament or what we might call the Old Covenant in terms of giving. I believe in the tithe because I believe it's an eternal principle that reflects gratitude and generosity uh, because I think it's an act of priority in the present. When I give a tithe, when I give a, more than a tithe, what I'm doing is I'm taking the very first part of what God has given to me and I'm giving it back to Him. I'm saying, God, I'm putting you first, in first place in my life with the money that you've entrusted to me. I believe in giving of a tithe because it's a statement of faith, because it allows me to partner with God in what he's doing in the world in a significant way, and I could go on and on and on. I just simply believe that's where giving should be. That's where giving should begin. And so I'm going to challenge you today uh, to make a commitment, to make a commitment to generosity. I'm going, to make, I'm going to challenge you to make a commitment to be generous in every part of your life, like I talked about in the beginning of this message, but also to be generous with whatever amount of money God has entrusted to you, whether it's a little or a lot, and just know, just know that God will honor and He will bless that commitment. That's the challenge. I hope you'll respond. I'm going to pray. Father, thanks for our time together today. Uh, not, not the most, uh, honestly, not the most powerful or dynamic message I've ever preached. Felt, um, felt pretty inadequate to me on my end. But I pray that uh, something that was said would uh, present a challenge. A challenge to generosity that would make a difference. In the life of the person who gives...
and in the life of this church that seeks to give so much back to this community and to the world. Help us to remember always that you are a generous God and that you honor our generosity in return. We love you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.